What a fantastic segue into our message. Our message title today is All In, All Ready. And in a moment, I'll explain what that means. The idea of all ready. Now, often we look at that terminology and we think, well, I'm already there. I already know that. I've already done this. I already brushed my teeth. What are you talking about? Right? But this morning, let's use that. Let's think through that because you're going to see that in the first verse that Paul gives us. So it stuck out to me. And when you think about what we're doing, we're mashing up two words to come up with this word already. And those two words are A-L-L, ready. It's a sense of being complete. It's a sense of accomplishment, correct? Sometimes we think we're all ready, and boy, Joe, uh, uh, Joe you couldn't have picked a better song for my illustration this morning, running into your arms. Oh, you know, there's moments where I have an illustration, and then there's moments where I've got an illustration. Watch the screens. That's the best! (laughs) These are Paul's words for us today, straight from the text. I love it. I absolutely love it. And uh, that that happens in Atlanta. And this guy's called The Freeze, and he's a world-class track star. And and he gives these guys a 200-yard start uh, ahead of him. And I love what's happening there at the very end. The guy hears the crowd, and he thinks they're cheering for him, right? like yeah more I've, I've got this i've got this and i love the moment of failure don't you it's, it's, i call it the nascar syndrome everybody goes to watch the crash right and so this morning as we examine this idea of what paul's talking about we have this very very prolific passage that fits so well with today in bay area sports it's been a while since we've had a lot to cheer about for football and so uh In recent memory, today the text demands the question of us, have we already arrived on so many different planes? Now, how many of us would be disappointed if the team, the 49er team today, got out on the field and they're just like, we made it to the NFC Championship. That's good enough. We're already in the NFC. Hopefully that's not their, their focus, right? Hopefully they're not already lifting their hands in praise before they go out and do the work. And so this morning, Paul gives us a description of how maybe some of us spiritually are doing that. We feel spiritually maybe we've already arrived. I hope to jostle myself and your soul this morning with what Paul is going to bring to us. You're going to recognize this passage. My hope is that the Lord uses it beyond what you already know. Let's pray this morning. Father, we ask that you give us insight. Open the eyes of our heart. 
today speak clearly to us. Let there be results because of what we hear now. Let there be change in our life. Let us go on to do greater things so that we might obtain the goal of the upward call of Christ. Thank You, Father. Amen. You know, it's interesting. We live in a world where everybody gets to be a self-proclaimed expert. Right? And to a, to a point where maybe we're oversaturated with experts who've already got it figured out. And maybe even today, we sit here having already figured it all out. And our mind is maybe somewhere else. Our heart is maybe somewhere else. Can I encourage you, maybe enter in today as a second grader, uh, a sophomore in high school, uh, a senior doing your thesis project, someone in grad school. Take yourself back to that moment where you still felt like you were learning. Like you were in pursuit of something. And I think that will help you and help myself truly uh, grasp what it is that Paul has for us today. Let me take us into uh, the passage. I've got it up on the screen for you, but you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, and you're going to recognize this. We're going to be in verses 12 through 16. And Paul says this about himself. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. What is it? What is this? If we're going to move forward, we have to know what it is that Paul's talking about that, that he says, I haven't already attained this. You have to go back. You have to go back to some context in preceding verses. And this is where he's talking about knowing Jesus Christ and knowing the power of His resurrection. Churches are filled with people who think they know Jesus Christ. The world is filled with people who think they know Jesus Christ. But even Paul says to Timothy, they disregard the power of Christ. It's not in them. They know nothing of it. So this morning, we start right away with an immediate opportunity to examine and to think through what is it that God is doing that goes beyond what we think we've already figured out. That we've already figured out. Let me continue on. So we know what this is. And so Paul says this, verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. I find it fascinating if you go and spend the time to look back at what Paul has been saying for quite a while now. Here he comes with a tone of humility. Here the Master comes with a sense of saying almost in an Obi-Wan Kenobi moment, right? You know, if, 
if I only knew more, if I understood deeper, there's so much for me to learn, right? We hear this sage advice in story after story out of antiquity. By the way, Star Wars isn't real. I just want to dash your dreams. But Paul is real, and Paul is saying, I haven't even begun to perfect this. Did you catch that at the beginning? He says, he says what? He says, Verse 12, he hasn't obtained it yet. The full knowledge of Christ. The power of the resurrection. And yet, Paul is the one who's doing miraculous healings. Paul is the one having visions. Paul is the one who is, is changing the Mediterranean seaboard. Paul is the one who's raising people. Paul is the one who's healing people. And yet, Paul says, I have not attained this yet. I have yet to be perfected. Brothers and sisters, we live in a time and an age where we want to brag, we want to feel confident. We are told that in order to hold any stature, any level of credibility, we should present ourselves as those who have the confidence and the opinion to rule the room. Does that make sense? Now Paul's not saying Deny yourself. Deny what you know. Deny uh, the, the investment that's already been placed in you. He's saying don't overestimate who you are. Don't ever lose your spiritual fervor serving the Lord as He instructed the Romans. Don't ever get to the point where you think you've got it so figured out that you can just kind of cruise. Right? Because inevitably, no matter what we have accomplished in the past, and Paul is saying, I don't look at the past. I keep pressing forward. No matter what we've accomplished in the past, it just takes one moment of failure. And that's what people will what? That's what people will remember. There's an underlying value to this about moving forward. So let me do us a favor and, and let's break this down. How do we attain the goal of the upward call of Jesus Christ? If this, in effect, is our, our focus today, and hopefully you heard that, I think it's in verse 12, where there is a, a funneling down of what Paul is trying to say here. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's your thesis statement, graduate students. I press on for the, the prize, the goal of receiving the prize. For you and I, for everyone, that prize is twofold. One, it's the completion of what Jesus Christ is doing in you. Remember, we talked, or, or Paul told us, Paul instructed us at the beginning of his letter to the Philippians. He says, He who has begun a work in you will be faithful to what? To complete it. When that work is, com <coughs> when that work is complete, I don't know if you heard that happen there. See, I'm still working on completing my, my testosterone uh, from junior high. When that work is completed, then we receive the prize. We'll hear a story today at the end about a hero of the faith 
that they never rested. They never considered that they had attained the full goal. They never believed that they had been perfected. The perfection comes with the second part of that goal, which is heaven. Now here's the interesting thing about running into His arms. Here's the interesting thing about this this portrayal or this allegory of running a race. There's a point where the race is over. Correct? I want you to stop for a moment and consider that part of the race is qualifying. Qualifying means that I have the faith that the Master, the Savior of the world is Jesus Christ. And He has called me to something. And that as Paul says, He desires to what? He's not renting me and I'll get to that in a minute, that there's an ownership that happens here. And it's such a time when I have fulfilled, as Paul says, the work that he has laid out for me, then I have completed my race. Then I'll be called home and perfected. Do we think in these terms? I'm not sure that we do, but I I wish we did. Because Paul says what? There is one thing I do. I'm singular in how I approach. Now, I'm preaching my whole message out of sync, so I'm going to get back to my notes. Alright? I'm going to use my car remote to forward the slides. (laughs) Technology. Beep, boop, pop, pop. Paul refuses to claim that he is already done. Folks, this is Paul. The Master is saying there is so much more for me to what? It wasn't just experience the power of the resurrection. It is to know Him. Many of us who have been long in the tooth here, in our faith, sometimes we feel like there really isn't anything fresh. There isn't anything new. You can understand who those people are. You can cite them. You can take their pictures. You can get their autograph. It's very easy to figure out who those people are because they fall asleep in church. Thank you. That was more of a joke than it was reality. I was just hoping you guys caught on to that. Um, People who are laughing are... um, They're awake. Yes, that's a good point. (laughs) Now everybody is awake. Paul says, I have not already grasped this or obtained it. This is where we start. The failure of the guy running against the freeze was what? Before he crossed that line, he thought he got it. I want you to hold that visual. It is such a beautiful, beautiful picture. There are so many in the faith that think they've already got it. Paul says, as the Master, no. No, He is not done completing the work He's done in me. And remember, Paul's been two years in a prison in Rome, and he's letting the Philippians know that, look, I I share all of this with you. God's not done with me yet. And He wasn't. Paul would be released from this time in Rome. And the Lord had something else for him before eventually his martyrdom would happen and his race would be complete. So verse 12 tells us Paul's attitude and focus, and it's one of humility. 
Secondly, Paul embraces ownership in Christ. This is so contrary, brothers and sisters, to the world we live in. We live in a world that says it's up with the individual. No person owns me. That's just a form of slavery. Can I introduce to you the total conversation here? How many of you would prefer that God's not renting you as a believer in Jesus Christ? Because there are some who preach that. This is a very, very important part of Scripture right here, right now. Paul uses the word own. That Christ owns Him. What did Christ use to purchase us? That's right. His body and His blood, which we will celebrate today. When we do, when we observe the table today, I want you to think in this context that He now owns me. I belong to Him. And we've heard belong before, right? And we sometimes might say that. I belong to Christ. Have we ever said, have I ever said, Jesus owns me? Now sometimes we use that in a pejorative in sports. Oh, I just owned you! Right? And that's kind of that's fun, but it's temporary. This, this language, Paul is talking about permanence. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. And Paul's saying that he desires to own that as well. Did you catch that? Look, look in the Scripture. Go to 12 and 13 again. He says, I press on to make it my what? My own. There are so many things yet I have not made my own when it comes to the Scripture, my faith, Jesus Christ, eternity. In some senses, I'm just renting. I'm just visiting. I'm just vacationing. I'm there for the e-ticket ride. Right? You know, there's a luxury in renting. My wife and I are... are just lifting our hands in praise. Some of you are aware that, that we've just been blessed to rent a house just like two blocks away. And for the past three years running, we've been told that they're going to sell the house. And so we have to start, you know, getting ready to move. And, and then we don't know where we're going. We don't know what's, you know, we're like the Israelites, right? And, and hopefully it's not just going to be manna. Um, but the Lord's provision is a beautiful thing. And, a beautiful, and so we have been given another year just found out we've been given another year in this, in this house, which is great. And so what a beautiful way to live in certain senses. But you know what? There really is a comfort in owning. There really is a comfort in owning. And I can kind of relate to that. In some senses, the great part about renting is you can just walk away from it, Right? How great that God doesn't look at us as rental property. How great is that? That Paul uses this terminology. And it's not just the fact that the security of God owning what he purchased, but it's the idea of me trying to own my faith. Right? Now we do use that terminology often in Christianese. I need to what? I need to own my faith. Well, what does that mean? We're going to give you some hints to that in a little bit. 
So Paul moves on. He, he strategizes how to improve. I would assume if you're here today, you are strategizing how to improve in your spiritual walk. Amen? Amen. Hopefully you leave today having been improved in your spiritual walk. It should bother you if you're not improving. I have been trying to learn Misty for a year and a half on jazz guitar. I'm only halfway through the song. And there are times where I'll put down the guitar for a month, month and a half, two months, because I'm not what? I'm not improving. You know why? Because it's just me and the same old dumb YouTube video. What do I need? I need a mentor. I need to sit down and I need to strategize how can I get better? How can I master this? How can I own this? And if I somehow miraculously figure this out, what a shame if I don't pursue that end. Does that make sense? Yet so much of the time in our own spiritual walks, we, we strategize, but we never take the efforts to do that. Because sometimes we think we've already got it figured out. My wife got me guitar lessons for Christmas because she figured out, mm -mm, you are not there yet. I'll even pay for you to figure it out. That's her strategy on how I can improve. Spiritually, how are you improving and are you strategizing? Paul had a strategy. What is his strategy? Let's look at verses 13 through 14. This is paramount. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Let's just start with that. I am not all that and a block of cheese. Shout out to Green Bay. All right. I had that in the pocket. I had that in the pocket. That is the only reference I'm going to do to Green Bay today. All right. Somehow I'll work the word Bosa in a little bit later. I don't know how, but, you know, miracles happen. So he, he says... Let me start with humility. I haven't figured it out. Because the moment I think I have, I end up flat on my face. I end up flat on my face. And so he starts with, I need to own it. Right? I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, here comes the strategy, folks, forgetting what lies behind what is this poor guy's problem? Now, he probably forgot what was lying behind, maybe in a certain sense. I would argue he just miscalculated what he was hearing. He was hearing the shouts of everybody in the stadium because the freeze was going to catch him. And that's what everybody was getting excited about. And he overestimated his own opinion of what he was hearing. He thought those cheers were for him. He thought the cheers were for him. And so he lost track of what was behind him. Maybe that's a good thing in certain situations. Maybe in other situations, he should have just focused on the race. That's what Paul is instructing us. This is what Paul says is the secret to his success, right? He says, I leave behind... Forgetting what lies behind. How many of us have been shipwrecked or we know someone who's been shipwrecked in their faith because of what happened in the past? 
because they misinterpreted what they were hearing. They don't own their faith. They had it stolen from them. Now the question is, will they strategize to get it back? Will you strategize to get it back? And so how do you do that? Paul gives us a hint. He says, I press on towards the goal for the prize. He says, I'm going to look forward. I'm going to strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He understands what his goal is. He's going to make every effort to do this. He's going to leave behind the things that want to discourage him. Great strategy. Great strategy. Listen to the clarion call of Jesus, the one who gives truth. Not those who seek to boost their own confidence, their own credibility, their own abilities that surround you all the time. And do not trust yourself, my friends. In my own life and in so many of my friends' lives and in people that are wiser than me, there are those who overestimated their own wisdom and faith. And they crashed and burned. Strain forward. Never stop. Listen to the upward call of Christ Jesus. Amen? That's the strategy. Paul refuses mediocrity as a savvy veteran. Have you ever watched? Maybe you'll see it today. Maybe one of those teams will struggle and you'll see a veteran on the sideline trying to get the team to pay attention. We have a Bay Area team where we watch that happen all the time, and I wish he would do it to himself this year because he's pathetic this year. And that guy's name is Draymond Green. He's mailing in his $77 million or whatever it is. And I get it. He's the only one out of the entire team that's played for five years at this level that's having to go out there. If you look, every single game, he's icing his knees every time he's out. But I've watched game after game after game where the old Draymond would have what? Would have boxed out, would have secured the rebound, and he just watches. Sometimes one, two, three rebounds by the other team, and he's just standing and watching. You see, he's overestimated himself. And so he loses some credibility when he wants to get on the other players as a savvy veteran on how to do this. It's going to catch up, and I think it is catching up. For you spiritually, who are those mentors in your life that you listen to that, that speak into your life? Can I encourage you? Find ones that have not uh, gone astray. Find ones that set the mark, the standard of excellence. Find winners. And ask them the tough questions in your life and in your heart. But we cannot pretend that we're interested or that we have arrived at a spiritual conclusion when we do not go the distance of asking the tough questions. We just surrender over an area of our life because of something that sounds somewhat credible. We're listening to the noise in the crowd and we're misinterpreting and we end up falling flat on our face. I encourage you, strain towards the goal and if in your faith you are starting to become shipwrecked or doubt, find someone who has mastered through some of those difficulties and ask them what's on your heart. Go to Christ first. Go to Christ first. And that's where we'll finish today. So verse 15, 
gives us this instruction. It says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Continue to see those who are mature in the faith as great coaches. Also understand and measure the advice that they give you against what you see in Scripture as to the character of God. After all, it is God's calling. It is God's upward call that is your goal and my goal spiritually. The question is, what is it that gets in and distracts us that we start raising our hands? The, the part of that video that stays in my memory is not when he falls. It's when he realizes what he had done. Did you notice what he did at the very end of the clip? He buried his head in the dirt. Brothers and sisters, that is not straining towards the goal, and that is not what God wants us to do. Whose fault was it? Was it the crowd's fault that he fell? Was it the freeze's fault that he fell? It was his fault. Yet in a spiritual world, what happens so much of the time? We want to blame other people. We want to blame Jesus when it's just simply the result. Now here's the beautiful part about who Jesus is. What Paul is saying is he gets it. Jesus gets it. He knows that we're going to stumble. We're going to fall. He owns us. He's not going to leave us or forsake us. That is His promise. And so He's going to come alongside like the good shepherd that He is. He's going to help us get up. He's going to help us race again. There's a beautiful picture of a man named Derek Redmond from the, I don't know, the 4th century Olympics. It was a long time ago. And he pulls a hamstring. Many of you have seen this. He pulls a hamstring. He was the favorite to win this 400 medley. And he's crying because he had trained for years. And he had an injury during the Olympics where he was called the presumptive winner. And he missed that Olympics. And this was his last shot. He had smoked everybody in the preliminaries. He owned everybody in the preliminaries. And he's coming around the second turn. He pulls his hamstring. And he goes down. And you can hear just this collective groan. And so he gets up. And he's hobbling completely ripped hamstring he can't put any weight on the leg and he's just trying as hard as he can chances are nobody's going to pay attention but he says i'm going to finish my race i'm going to get up no matter how discouraging this is i'm going to get up i'm going to keep pressing towards the goal but with a completely severed hamstring the excruciating pain, he had to stop a couple times. And you can feel the collective effort of the stadium willing him to move forward. But it looked at one point he wasn't going to be able to do it. And out of the stands comes his father. And a security guard. Boy, the security guard should write a book. right? This security guard trying to do his job is like, no, sir, you can't, you can't. And that father wasn't having it. And he threw the security guard off to the side and said, that's my son. 
That is the most beautiful picture I can give you of what Jesus does to those who he calls his children. When we hit the deck and we're not running well, it doesn't mean that the race is flawed. It means that we are fragile and Jesus knows it. And he wants us to what? What did Paul say? Complete the race. And when it becomes overwhelming for us, he will come out of the stands and he will put our arm around his shoulder because he says what? My burden is easy and light. And there's a beautiful picture of that father carrying his son across the finish line. Do you know hardly anybody remembers who won that race that day? All they remember is that picture. What a valuable picture to you and I today in light of being all ready. Sometimes we think we are all ready. Derek Redmond thought he was all ready. And then there was an equipment failure. But what a beautiful moment for him. Paul emphasizes the truth in the last verse. What does he say? It's so, so important because there's strategy here, right? There's ownership. There's the idea of of pride and feeling like, hey man, I've already accomplished all this. There's There's the pushback against mediocrity. Eventually, Paul says what you have to focus on is the truth. You have to answer that upward call. Jesus is going to help you walk that, run that race, but you have to stay true to the race. And how does he verbalize this? Verse 16, only, what a modifier, only. After all of this great wisdom, parenthetical phrase, all of this is in light of what I'm going to tell you next. Only what? Let us hold true to what we have attained. Sometimes there are those who want to come along and steal away what we have experienced and what we know of Jesus Christ. I encourage you, value what you have. Hold on to what you have. There's a beautiful story of a hero of the faith. His name is George Mueller. This picture, I'm going to read it in a minute. It hangs to the right of my desk. On the left of the desk is a uh, lithograph of the original writing by Horatio Spatford of um, his penning, um, It Is Well With My Soul. This hangs to the right as an encouragement and a reminder to me. Let me tell you why George Mueller is a hero of mine. George Mueller understood he was not already there at any point in his life. Now let me just say this because I'm going to forget to say this. Many of us might say, well, this is all good for Paul. Paul's called to something different. Yes, you're absolutely right. Paul was called to something different. Nothing more, nothing less than what God has ordained for each of his children the difference between paul and myself might be that paul is saying i'm going to do one thing and that's it i am fully dedicated to the one thing and when i am fully dedicated to that one thing what happens incredible incredible manifestations of the power of the resurrection and through that I know Jesus deeper you see how it connects to what he had just said 
For you and I, we have that same opportunity to experience Jesus Christ in that same manner by instituting these strategies that Paul's trying to pass on. He doesn't need to say this if it's only for him. Does that make sense? He's passing this strategy on for you and I so we won't become shipwrecked. We won't go down on the ground and bury our head in the dirt. George Mueller was one of those individuals who got this. He had not already arrived. Let me introduce you to George Mueller. Uh, By the way, George Mueller was a thief. I just learned that. And I I think I've read everything I can find on George Mueller. That guy was an out-and-out thief early on. And he was... uh, he was born September 27th, 1805 uh, in Germany, um, in Kroppenstadt. Sorry, I just wanted to connect with my German roots there. That's the best I can do. Uh, and he died March 10th, 9, or 1898, at age of 92. And he didn't even have Kaiser health. <laughs> See that? That was brilliant. Because Kaiser, German, and right, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let, let me keep on... The details here. Let me give you my Wikipedia synopsis here. He saw the Great Awakening of 1859, which he said led to the conversion of hundreds of thousands. So, so far, he's, he's observing. Right? He's, he's observing. How many of you have met someone great or, or you wish you could meet somebody that you really, really honor and idolize? And if you just met that person, boy, you could die happy. Right? Listen to this. He did follow-up work for Dwight Moody. He preached for Charles Spurgeon. He inspired the missionary faith of Hudson Taylor. He spent most of his life in Bristol, England and pastored the same church there for over 66 years. Take that and run it up your steeple, newfound churches who need a 32-year-old pastor. You're out on your... Bible by age 48. Did you catch my hint? Because like I'm pushing 54 and we just need to be really clear here about George. It's a self-serving illustration. 66 years! And he was kind of an independent, premillennial, Calvinistic, Baptist church that celebrated the Lord's Supper weekly and admitted non-baptized people into membership. If this sounds unconventional, that would be accurate. He was a maverick, not only in his church life, but in almost all areas of his life. In 1834, when he was 28, he founded the Scripture Knowledge Institute for Home and Abroad. I have all that collection of commentaries. But he was disillusioned with the post-millennialism, the liberalism, and the worldly strategies like going into debt of existing missions organizations. Five branches of this institute developed. One, schools for children and adults to teach Bible knowledge. Two, Bible distribution. Three, missionary support. Four, tract and book distribution. And five, to board, clothe, and scripturally educate destitute children who have lost both parents by death. Okay, so there's his strategy, right? The accomplishments of all five branches were significant. But one he was known for around the world in his own lifetime and still today was the orphan ministry. He built five large orphan houses and cared for 10,024 orphans in his life. When he started in 1834, there were accommodations for 3,600 orphans in all of England. And twice that many children under eight were in prison. 
One of the great effects of Mueller's ministry was to inspire others so that 50 years after Mr. Mueller began his work, at least 100,000 orphans were cared for in England alone. That's what I call pressing on towards the goal. But there's so much more. He did all this while he was preaching three times a week from 1830 to 1898. At least 10,000 times he preached. And when he turned 70, this is my favorite part about George Mueller. When he turned 70, he fulfilled a lifelong dream of missionary work for the next 17 years until he was 87. He didn't start missions, and we're talking overseas missions, until he was age 70. Do you think he thought he already got it all figured out and he'd already arrived? He traveled to 42 countries, 20 preaching on average of once a day, 21, uh, and, oh sorry, I'm reading these subnotes. <laughs> preaching on average of one, one a day and addressing some 3 million people after age 70. From the end of his travels in 1892 when he was 87 until his death of March 1898, he preached in his church and worked for Scripture Knowledge Institute. At age 92, not long before he died, he wrote, I have been able every day and all the day to work and that with ease as 70 years since he led a prayer meeting at his church on the evening of wednesday march 9th 1898 the next day a cup of tea was taken to him at seven in the morning but no answer came to the knock on the door he was found dead on the floor beside his bed there are many individuals who believe that he was in the midst of prayer just like he always was when the Lord said, your race is complete, George. Now, would you say that that's a successful person when it comes to his faith? In his book, The Secret to My Success, this is what hangs um, over my, my desk by my computer to remind me not to assume I've already got it figured out. So when asked the question, what's the secret to your success, he says this, there was a day when I died, utterly died. As he spoke, he bent lower until he almost touched the floor. Quote goes on to say this, died to George Mueller, his opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends, and since then have studied only to show myself approved unto God. Remember Paul said, this one thing I do. This one thing I do. Brothers and sisters, in order for us to run our race well, we have to stop thinking we've already arrived. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. This morning I hope you're encouraged in all of that. This is a great quote by, by Mueller to finish up today. If we desire our faith to be strengthened, we should not shrink from opportunities where our faith may be tried and therefore through trial be strengthened. So here's your strategy, brothers and sisters. I ran this by someone in our household last night. I'm going to encourage you on how to practice that, right? That, that what, what Mueller's talking about, what Paul's talking about, is to make an effort to strain forward. But doing what? 
Let me encourage you this way. Three things. Build this as a pattern into your life. One. How have you glorified God today? How have you glorified God today? And that that reaches into a lot of things. How has God been around you? Recognizing what God has done in and through you. And the idea that you are focused on the Almighty. Right? Second, how has God blessed you? That's making me focus and realize that He's real. He's very real. And if I fail to look at that, then I start looking at myself and I start acting like the fan, not the freeze. Lastly, how have I blessed others through God? How have I blessed others through God? Let me encourage you to take that strategy today or whatever it is that's the truth as Paul leaves us with that idea out of verse 16. And run your race. Not as those who have already completed it, but as those just like Paul strain forward to what? The upward call of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, thank You for the glorious, beautiful message of encouragement from Paul today. I pray that it inspires us, it, it changes us, it makes us formidable, it brings joy into our life, it awakens us so that we might compete as athletes who have one goal in mind, And that is to obtain the prize. Thank you, Father, that you help us in our race. To you be all glory. Amen.